Here we go, everybody together. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. High five somebody next to you. Open up to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Thank you for being here today on Memorial Day weekend. I believe today is going to light a fire in your belly. And it won't be bad chili. It will be the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'm so excited you're here. What I have been uh, studying in the book of Acts has just blessed my life. We're doing a study of Acts. I don't know how long we'll stay. We'll stay till we're finished and we feel like we've got what the Lord wants us to get. And uh, we're calling it History Come Home, meaning a 2,000-year-old story of Jesus Christ is still working today, alive today, powerful today, and He wants to flow through me and use me. I do believe He's in heaven preparing a place, according to Scripture, but also He's in me preparing me. And he's preparing me to be a place. And the place he's preparing me to be is a house of home where people find hope and home and life and joy right here working through me. Acts chapter 2, if you will, is where we're going to begin reading today. Verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. That's what we're doing today. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames of fire or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them and everybody say the word everyone. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave this ability. And at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard a loud noise, everybody say everyone again. Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors of Rome both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. and Well, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So Peter stepped forward with 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. <laughs> no, what? Yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend. That one, that one, right? <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. Uh, verse 16. No, what you see predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon you, say, all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days I'll pour out my spirit on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. 
And I'll cause wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. Everybody say everyone again. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's what I want to say. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. That's a good word to read. Here's where I want to take you this morning. As we said and started the journey last week, we have to understand how God is moving this kingdom. And the way he moves the kingdom is this. This is the way he started it. Everyone that was a believer was filled with the Holy Spirit. So just look at the person next to you real quick and say, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? You don't even have to answer back, so you don't have to worry about getting embarrassed. But there is an expectation at the beginning of the church that you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Today it's a denominational preference. If you want to be, you go to a wild Pentecostal church. If you don't, you go to a more tamed Protestant maybe church. But in the beginning, when God began the church, it was an expectation. As a matter of fact, you really could not even serve in a leadership position in the early church unless you had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. They, they were hungry for that. Now what that did that morning in that room we just read about, it caused everyone on the street to make a divine connection to God. If you weren't here last week, the sermon's on our website and you can catch the whole thing. But to update us, the everyone in the room came out in the street and everyone in the street heard clearly what God was saying. Now here's the weird thing, they heard it in their own language. And the reason they heard it in their own language was so, watch now, so that everyone could become everyone who now is a part of a different everyone. So I have a family of everyone over here, the family of God, coming to everyone over here, the family of the devil, because there's only two families. There's a father God, and then Jesus calls Lucifer a father as well. So every one of the father's kids go to every one of Lucifer's kids, and every one of Lucifer's kids now have an opportunity to become every one of the father's kids. That's beautiful. But, but listen to how he did it. He did it in languages that met every person's need to hear they spoke many languages that day so that everybody in the street could hear this is what that tells me God never intended one man or one woman to reach everybody it's not designed that way if it was designed that one man or woman could reach the world then they would have come out and just spoke one language but they spoke multiple languages because God wanted me to know all I'm responsible for is my lane. I'm only responsible for the people in my 50 feet of language. I am not responsible for the whole world. I know that makes us feel extra spiritual. We're going to change the world. We will never change the world if individually we don't change our 50 feet. And to think that one man, a Joel Osteen, a Billy Graham, a, you know, the people that are kind of upper, reaching thousands upon thousands upon thousands, Joel Osteen on his best day, his best day, probably 30,000 or more a weekend, plus all the millions he reaches on the planet through television, does a great thing. But do you know there are 7.6 billion people on the planet? How many are left over? 
How many don't even have a television, a radio, don't have YouTube, don't have a Bible? I mean, do you know there's still people on our planet who don't even have a Bible? They don't even have Scripture in their own language? I mean, I can go to Lifeway and buy 32 different versions. And there's people all around the planet out here in this everyone, and there's nobody in their lane running to reach them. Because a lot of times we want somebody else to reach my lane. And God is not going to use somebody else's language to reach Justin's language. Or Burl's language. We all have a language and our responsibility is, am I willing to go out in the street from what God showed me here to go out into my lane, my 50 feet, and to begin to do it? Turn to Romans 10. Because what I want to do today is I want to do something different than just preach a sermon that makes me feel better and makes you feel like I went to church. (laughs) And I want to teach you something on how to do this practically. So this is a note-taking Sunday. So you're going to have to take some notes. But listen to Romans chapter 10. And I want you to scroll down to verse number, number 13. Romans 10, verse 13. Listen to this. Everybody say everyone. everyone. Look up at the screen. See the word everyone. Now we're connecting right back to Acts 2. And Paul is going to say the same thing again. Peter said it on the opening morning of the church. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we all just said, yeah, isn't that good? And we saw how God did it. He put put a lane of language and touched everybody. Now one book later in the book of Romans, Paul, Romans 10, 13, picks up the same thought but develops it a little further. Because now he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But now let's go deeper. Ready? Get your shovel. Here we go. How can they call, verse 14, on him to save them unless they believe? And how can they believe if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Touch yourself on the shoulder and say, I'm that someone. Look at it on the screen. Just stare at it a minute. Let it soak in. Get through your, religious, your religiosity. They will go to hell unless someone tells them. This is what we're going to find out in a minute. You're the someone. We believe that the lie that we believe in American culture is we pay somebody else to be my someone. I give you a salary, call you preacher, and now you go reach my someone. I'll even bring him to church so you can reach my someone. That's not the goal. The goal is not to bring the sinner to the church. The goal is to take the church to the sinner. And then when the sinner becomes a saint, they come back into the church and become part of the family. And we have done a disservice that we've turned church into trying to appeal to sinners. The church was never designed to appeal to a sinner. It was designed to equip the believer so that the believer could go out in the street and talk to the sinner so that the sinner out in the street could become an everyone, and then now I could bring them to church and say, well, here's your new family. 
Let us, now that you're in a family, let us introduce you to a new father. Let us introduce you to a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of talking, a new way of li- doing life. But what we've done 2,000 years removed is we're all out here in the hellhole of the world just living like hellions, even a lot of Christians not even representing Jesus well. We just say the right words and the amens and the hallelujahs and wear the t-shirts. But then we just beg people, please come to church with me. Just please come to church. Oh, if you'll just please come to church, your whole life will change. And they're probably out there looking at you going, I don't even remotely want to be that way. You're just as broken as me, hurt as me, miserable as me. So it's not, please come to church, please. Oh, we're doing a big Easter thing, please come. Because we're going to, I mean, Easter especially for you. We've designed the whole Easter sermon just for you. I mean, we've watered it down so much that even a baby could get it. And we want you to come watch our videos because maybe that'll appeal to you to come on in and be part of our church. I mean, I'm not saying that God's mad at that. But I'm saying, I don't even see any scripture for that. What I see is, I just got filled up with the Holy Spirit when I gathered. I dust myself off. I get the joy of the Lord in me. And I go right back to the hellhole of my work. And as I'm working, I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. I'm a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And people begin to come in contact with my language. And I begin to discuss life with them. And we talk about commonalities, the things we enjoy doing. We love to golf. We love to fish. We love to hunt. And in that commonality of language, we begin to make a relational connection. And then in that relational connection, one day out of the clear blue, they say, what's so different about you? And then in that moment, I say, Jesus. That's the difference. And then I introduce them to my father. And then I bring them into the family and say, hey, in case you're really nervous, come meet some of my brothers and sisters. And that's where the devil's got us all backwards because we come to church, we don't even like each other, we don't get along, we're mad looking for perfection. And so I want, I want you to hear this again. So pull it back up. I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 13 of Romans 10. I'm just going to read through it. Verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on Him to save them unless they believe? And how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go? How can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. This is not my sermon, but I'm going to end on that today. Do you, you know, do you think that's not funny? Like the feet are the ugliest part of the body. I don't know many people that like feet. Really. There's a little Chinese lady that goes I get my feet rubbed sometimes I don't even know how she handles my own feet I don't like them I'm like I don't even like my own feet but the Bible says no matter what your baby toe looks like if you'll just go out and tell people about Jesus you have beautiful feet that's the power of the gospel take the ugliest part of our body the feet the thing the part of our body we hide all the time the part of our body with a little baby toe that's been stumped on every bedpost it's all crooked and beat up and some of you ladies paint that. There's not even a nail on it. You just paint it. 
You don't even have a toenail. You painted anyway. I'm pretending like there's a toenail. Oh, there ain't no toenail there. It's just nothing but meat. Ugly feet, ugly feet. But the Bible says the thing that's ugly, if you'll just go out in the world and begin to give Jesus, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's what Jesus says. But religion has hurt that, as I said last week. Religion keeps us shamed. We don't want to tell our story. We're afraid we're going to mess up. So I want to teach you today how to do it. Turn to John chapter 11. A lot of Bible reading. Is that okay? I want to take you through the story of Lazarus on how to be the language into your community of people. How do you unwrap your story so that other people can know Jesus? So let's read. So we're going to do a lot of reading again, but then I'm going to go through those points, and that's where we can take the notes. So let's start in John 11, the story of Lazarus. Verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'm going to go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas nicknamed the twin... And his fellow disciples said, well, let's go too and die with Jesus. Don't you like people that have great faith? <laughs> you just love those friends. Well, if they're going to kill you, just kill me too. Huh? <laughs> right? I love those, that faith of Thomas. You got to love that brother. <laughs> he sounds spiritual there, though. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, back up. I feel this in my spirit. Back up. I want to just make a comment. Verse 18. This is for somebody. Bethany was only a few miles down the road, but it took him four days to go a few miles. So that's for somebody in the room. You've been expecting God to do something for you and answer a prayer and it's taken him a lot longer than the journey should take. And you don't need to get discouraged. Hold on. Don't give up. Somebody else may have got it quicker than you, but he's on his way. Because you've got to really think about it. It took him four days to go a few miles. So let me tell you, God doesn't always work on your timetable. 
So if you told if you told him I want my prayer answered by June and it's almost June and it's nowhere answered, don't give up on him. For you, it just might be a few miles, but for him, he may take a few days. Just give him time. He'll show up. So I don't know who that was for, but I hope I hoped it helped you. Verse 21 now. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, and even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. Then she turned to Mary. She called Mary aside for the mourners had told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people were at the house consoling Mary, or, or consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. They followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you would believe? So they rolled the stone aside, and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. I just want to make a comment right here. This is one of the reasons I think you need to gather with other Christians. Because sometimes you can talk privately to God and sometimes God needs to have somebody scream it at you because you don't get it on your own. And that's why God gives you people. Sometimes you home having a Bible study and God's trying to get to you and he can't. But when you come to church, he'll just let it be known real plainly. I don't know who that was for either. But it, that was good. I might have to write a book on that. I got my own revelation. I'm like, man, I'm a good preacher. I like that. <laughs> That's that when you impress yourself. That's like, man, God is good. And then you start, you get real big-headed, like, no wonder he called me. I'm just brilliant, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you pee your pants. It just <laughs> and he bring he humbles you, right? <laughs> Verse 43. Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told him, and this is it, unwrap him and let him go. Everybody say, unwrap him. Unwrap let him go. There has been a real issue in Christianity of how to, how to witness to people. We typically do it backwards. We do it by jumping out of the tomb. 
Do you know Jesus? If you don't, you're going to go to hell. And we scare them. We just jump right out of the tomb. Man, death to life, jump right out, buck naked, here we go. Just screaming at people. But if you understand how Jesus reveals the story, Jesus reveals the story by changing a life and then once the life is changed, he begins to slowly unwrap you. And it's the unwrapping that becomes the identification of how you tell your story. Now the clear is he's going to unwrap you totally, but I want to take you through how to unwrap your personal story. All right, so get your notes. Here we go. They're going to come up on the screen. Here's the unwrapping. We're going to start from the head, and we're going to unwrap from the head to the feet. And everything we unwrap is going to be another thing we can practically do to get out in the street and be the light of Jesus. So the first thing we have to unwrap is the mind. Long before you ever witness to people and share your story, you're going to have to get your noggin out of some religiosity. It starts up here. Not with their condition. Usually it starts with what you think. What do you think about people? So the first one is this. This has to change in you. Indifference makes nothing better. And by indifferent is God will use somebody else. I'm sitting here working right next to somebody who I've worked next to him for 10 years and I don't even know if they know Jesus or not. 10 years I've worked with them. And I don't even know if they died today, would they go to heaven? I've never said a word. Maybe I'm hoping they go to church. Maybe I think they're a Christian. You see this a lot with young people dating. Well, they bring the boy home. Well, do they know God? Well, I don't really know. They go to church, I think. Indifference. Indifference makes nothing better. It's what they said when they said to Jesus, well, why are we going if he's just asleep? And a lot of times we're looking at the world and we believe things. We believe without Jesus there's an eternal punishment. But while we're out here, we're just really indifferent about it. I mean, I'm really busy. i got a lot to do. So indifference makes nothing better. Now, if you want to know the power that indifference makes... It's because Christians have become indifference that progressivism and liberalism is on a rampage today. And then many people get upset that Islam and, you know, the radical side of it is such pushing this agenda of very radical Islam or another radical kind of religion and faith while Christians just sit silently indifferent, afraid to say anything, afraid to even mention the name of Jesus. Now, I don't want you to raise a hand, and I'm not here to embarrass you. That's not what I do. But what was the last person you had a conversation with about Jesus? Not about church, not about let me pray for you, not about, well, I'll be praying. I mean, you literally said the word Jesus out of your mouth to them. You literally told them Jesus is the only hope you'll ever have for life. Because a lot of times... We think that we're not being indifferent because we're saying things like, well, we pray over our food before we eat, or, or I've invited them to church, or I shared a video with them. And those are good things to do. But indifferent meaning I've never just opened my mouth because I really don't not as desperate as I think I am. Number two, 
never assume someone's situation is hopeless. A lot of times God puts us in hard places. And this is what bad theology is. The Lord just put me in this real hard place because he must be trying to teach me something. He's not trying to teach you a thing. He's trying to get the other people to see the light. The Lord must be mad at me. He put me in this job. I just hate it. He's probably trying to teach me something. He's not teaching you a thing. What he's teaching you, all I need you to do is charge your batteries and shine. Because I put you in a hard place because I need those people to know there's hope. And you are a hope dealer. You're the one that has the hope of eternal life. And I put you in the middle of it. I just want you to know, don't let your religious brain lump people into who deserve to be saved and who doesn't. Well, this person right here, Pastor, they're just falling apart. They've been married so many times. They're addicted to so much. They just sleep around all the time. Good, but don't ever let your mind assume that it's hopeless. You may have been praying for them for years. Don't ever give up on them. You, you may have been witnessing to them for years. You may have been bold about Jesus and they have ignored you time and time again. You made me a mother praying for your children and no change at all. But don't ever assume it's hopeless. Let your brain be my Lord as long as I'm breathing, there's hope. As long as I got life in my body, I'm a hope giver. I'm never. Now listen, let me help you. God didn't put you on this planet to throw pity parties with people. I just need to talk to you because nobody will listen to me like you. Oh, well, tell me. My marriage is just horrible. It's just terrible. We're, we're not doing well. And then you enter into the party. Oh, I knew he's always been that way. Oh, bless your darling heart. I'd have hit him with a frying pan too. God didn't put you there for that. God didn't put you that when the darkness comes, you put on the party hat and blow a whistle and enter their darkness. He put you there to say, well, I'm so sorry it's that way. What can I do? And then you begin to introduce them to the life giver, the hope giver. And you bring them to Jesus. Number three, these mindsets have to change. Number three, do you believe eternal life really matters? This is where it's going to sting a mite. We say we do. Because I don't think anybody that really believes what we teach as Christians wants to go to hell. Like I know we joke, people joke in the world, well, I just can't wait to get to hell and party with all my friends. I mean, I understand that. But I mean us, who really have faith that there is eternal life and eternal death. He, he, Jesus even said to Martha, do you really believe? I think that's a hard question. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Like you believe, if you're a Christian, this is what we believe, baseline. A Christian believes that without Jesus there is eternal damnation in a lake of fire that is judgment of misery and torment for eternity separated in total abject darkness from the life of God. That's, that's Christianity 101. And Jesus gives us the right out of that darkness and hell and death into his marvelous light. Christianity 101. But if I really believe that, would I continue to be so indifferent of all the people I work with and I'm really not sure where their soul's going to be? Like, I really don't know. I mean, I like them. We do Mexican together. But I mean, if they burn in hell, that's not my job. I don't care. 
because I've worked with them five years and never said a word to them. But I act like I care. But five years working with the same person and you never had a heaven hell, where would you go? Do you know Jesus? Have you ever met him? Let me introduce you to him. Not one conversation. And we want to know what's going on with the church. Well, maybe we really don't believe eternal life matters. Maybe Jesus would ask us, do you really think it matters? Because if you do, wouldn't you say something? I had a friend of mine the other day. We, we had... We were eating breakfast every week, and we were eating breakfast, and he noticed a wreck on I-20. And so he said, ooh, wait a minute, I need to text one of my workers who's coming and tell him to avoid I-20. So he stops middle of breakfast, he texts him, hey, avoid I-20, bad wreck, go another way. And he put it down. And we just started talking about Jesus, which is what we do every time we gather. But then I said that to him. I said, wouldn't it be nice if all Christians cared that much about heaven and hell? Like I will stop at a breakfast and warn a co-worker there's a wreck on I-20. Go another way. But your soul is going to hell. I don't really care. I care more about you getting caught in traffic than whether or not you burn in hell the rest of your life. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. And if you don't believe the power of that... Going down I-20 toward I-75, they give you a nice lit sign. Five miles ahead, there's a wreck. Expect heavy delay. It's like, Lord, I'm getting off this. And I wonder if God didn't put that in Atlanta, that the world is warning you about wrecks and delays while we shut our mouth not warning a person about hell and heaven. We take an exit 57 to avoid it, but I'm not helping anybody else find eternal life. Number four. You must believe that Jesus cares about everyone around you. John 11:35. Jesus cried, he wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Meaning he, he just genuinely cared. You see, we lump you into categories. I really care about you. I hope you get fired. I don't enjoy working with them at all. So really, we kind of self-judge before we even give Jesus a chance. Because sometimes the person that irritates you the most may be the person Jesus cares about the most. That's why they keep getting in your way all the time. Because he just wants them to know he cares. And so he goes, well, imagine heaven. We got this lady down here who's real mean. What are we going to do with her? She's always on everybody's nerves. I got an idea. I'm God. Send her over there to Mark. Because Mark knows me. He's got the light of life. Uh, no, every time I send her to Mark, Mark walks out. Every time she goes over to Mark, Mark goes down the hall and goes to the bathroom. I've already... It's already clear Mark doesn't like her at all. He even went to the altar and asked for prayer of a co-worker who irritated him all the time. <laughs> right? And, and the Lord's trying to bring them to you. And you're like, oh God, here they come. I'm going to the bathroom. I'll be back. Don't, don't let her know I'm in my office. And the Lord's like, all I'm trying to do is let them know I care. And I'm bringing them to you because you know me. But your mind, your mind is stopping you from your 50 feet. Yeah. 
because you've already judged them, you don't like them, they irritate you, and you're shutting off an opportunity. Number five. All right, I will. Here we go. Number five, don't. Don't judge another person's reality. It may stink, but there's hope. In other words, God, you're 50 feet. He's going to put you with some stinky people. They're going to drop F-bombs, cuss, drink, get drunk, sleep around, look at porn. They're going to do all kind of stinky stuff. But that's why God put you in the middle of it. It may stink, but there's hope. There's always hope. God put us in the darkness to be the light. And here's what I find. The darker it is, the less battery I need to shine. I don't need a lot of battery if it's pitch dark. I don't have to know James to Revelation. I just need to know Jesus loves you. That's all the light I need. We even sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Just a little bit of light. You don't have to know Genesis to Revelation. You don't have to know every verse of the Bible. You don't have to be able to know the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. You just need to know their reality may be pretty bad, but, but be the hope giver in the middle of it. Don't let their stink bother you. Just jump on in the stink and just start flushing. Right? I will say this to you. Don't put on their stinky garments either. Thinking you're going to change their stink by wearing their stink. Just be different. You don't have to dress like them and smell like them, but you can get in the middle of it and help bring some life. Number six. Here's what we need to do now. We unwrap a little more, and now we've gone from the mind into the eyes. We hadn't even said anything yet about Jesus. We're just talking about thoughts and mentalities. Now the eyes. Do you go to work every day looking for an opportunity? Do you wake up every morning and go, God, let my eyes be on an opportunity? Because it's it's a generation today that will capture your eyeballs. The way women dress, the way men dress, the way life is, man, we'd be driving down the road and something can capture our eyes. But when you wake up, Uh, Pray this, Father, help me look for opportunities today in the man world. This is for men, you know, younger men especially. I've had several discussions with some men lately that are struggling with pornography and stuff. It's amazing how the eyes can be captured because we lust after the things we want to see. Well, the same is true with God. I can begin to train my eyes to look for opportunities to bring life to people. No different than a man looking for an opportunity as he's driving down the road and here comes a jogger in some tight pants. He's like, hmm. And then he adjusts his mirror to check her out a little more and then checks her out in the side view as he drives on by. Well, if his eyes can do that about sinful behavior, could we train our eyes to see an opportunity for Jesus Christ to know people? I unwrap a little more. Still hadn't said anything about Jesus yet. I unwrap a little more. I come to my ears. Sometimes one of the greatest things you can do as a believer for your ears is just to listen. Listen for the need because they will begin to speak your language while they're out there. And they may just say something real simple. Oh man, my weekend was hell. And then you can either go, oh, I know it, man. I got sunburned. 
you totally forgot to listen because God sent them to tell you, man, oh man, my weekend was hell. I still got a hangover. Well, if you have changed your mind and you got up that morning looking for an opportunity and said to the Lord, I'm looking, and God said to the father to the son, hey, Mark says he's looking, good, send her. And she comes in, whew, man, my weekend was a hellacious weekend. And then I say, I just heard her weekend was horrible. This is a chance. God has connected a moment, a man to a man. God has connected a woman to a woman. This is my chance to begin to shine. Now I unwrap a little more. I come to my mouth. I've asked God to show me the need. I've asked him to let me hear the need. And now my mouth opens up and look what happens. Am I willing to just tell them what Jesus has done for me? Am I willing to tell them just what he's done for me? Not if you don't believe you're going to hell and you better believe like me. No, just open your mouth and say, look, I've had one of those weekends too. I've had a lot of them. But let me tell you what I found in my personal life. I found that when I was hurting and broken, I've, I've started putting my faith in Jesus. And now we unwrap a little more and we unwrap where it really gets deep. It gets to the heart. Because now the heart is, my eye saw the opportunity, my ear heard the opportunity, my mouth said, let me tell you about my own experience with this. And then the heart now connects someone to Jesus. You see, I didn't connect them to Jesus immediately. I took time to unwrap the life. I took time to unwrap my story. That may take three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. It may take six, seven, eight weeks. It may take three weeks of just unwrapping my thoughts. It may take some of just looking for opportunities. It may take four or five conversations of listening. But I need to continually be rapping because I need to speak my story. And ultimately, I do need to get the heart in it and connect you to Jesus. Then the next is the hands. As I unwrap more, my hands become free. And when I unwrap, the hands are, are you willing to help people when a need arises? Are you too busy to help somebody? Are you too busy to say, well, what can I do to help? The, here's what's so weird about that. Somebody has a problem and then I offer, what, what could I do to help? It, it, even though everybody in the world can use that, for me it's different because I understand the Holy Spirit's a helper. And I can use my ability to help to introduce people to the Holy Spirit. And here's what's weird. You ready for the weird thing? If you will just be willing, get the next one, the feet. If you will be willing to take action to be the voice and the life, do you know what will happen? Heaven will begin to have conversations about you. This person over here is really, really, they're, they're suicidal. Angels of heaven, what can we do? Let's work in such a way that we cross Mark's path to cross with his path. 
cause Robin's path to connect with her path because she's telling me every morning, I'm willing, use me, look for an opportunity. I'm listening, God, I'm ready. And now all of a sudden, you become a life-giving hope giver. And all of a sudden, heaven begins to move every soul your way. Souls who've been prayed for for years, grandmamas have been praying for them, mothers have been praying for them, and you are going to be the answer to that prayer because you were willing. And now some grandmother in Kentucky has been praying praying for her grandchild to come to know the Lord because they're not living right and they happen to work with you but because you woke up that day and said, God, would you use me? Would you use my life? Would you let me be a voice? Would you use my hands? Would my ears be used for you? All of a sudden, heaven begins to work and they say, let's answer grandmom's prayer in Kentucky and let's send them on by Mark because today, grandmama's prayers are about to be answered because Mark was willing to to be used by me. Hallelujah! So here's what I want to tell you about that. Almost every person that comes in your path, God's already been working on them. Oh, some of them are still hard granite, but he's chipping away. Some of them are still hard ground, but he's watering them. But, it, but believe me, every person that comes across your path, somewhere God's been working on them. Because he brought them to you now. And you have to be smart with it. You have to be smart when they come and they're hard and they're angry and they're mean. It might take you a while to get to the heart. You may just have to sit and listen for several months and build rapport and build a story and build a friendship. You can't just throw them under the bus. They irritate me. It might take two months of them irritating you before they finally say, you know what, I notice that every time I come you never run away. I've noticed that you all, and then here it comes, I just unwrap a little more. Well, honey, let me tell you my story. And I unwrap a little more, here's Jesus. And I unwrap a little more, how can I help you? And I unwrap a little more, let's take action. Would you like to pray? Would you like me to lead you to Jesus? It's a simple prayer. Lord, I believe in you. Come into my heart, in Jesus' name. And the final scripture is back to Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those. Here's my action point today. Will you be the someone that goes to everyone? Will you be the someone? How can they know Jesus except someone goes out to the everyone? Bow your head, close your eyes if you would. Now right now, the action I want you to put to this sermon the amen I want you to put. Do you have a face or a name right now of a coworker, a friend, that you aren't really sure if they know the Lord? You're really not sure if they died today, hell would be an issue. Oh, you've been really friendly, but you've never unwrapped the heart. You've never really just, maybe you've just never even unwrapped your story. Maybe you're so busy, your ears are still wrapped. You're, you're, you're just not listening. You've you're, you got a busy schedule. But I want you to think about that person. And then I want, to, I want you to see yourself as the bridge to their life. You're the bridge to their hope. And you are the someone of Romans chapter 10 to go to your 50 feet. Father, I am that someone. Now right where you are, 
I want you to pray that prayer to Jesus in your own way. Father, I am that someone. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Father, use me today. Let me look for opportunities. We'll put all of those points on our social media so you can run through them this week and see them. But I want you to begin to unwrap your story. Hey, and it might not all unwrap today or next week, but by the end of this year, December 2019, I would love it if you were a Christian that was completely unwrapped. And you're like, man, I have found such freedom where I'm at. God's using me in miraculous ways. He will do it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me if you will? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 